It is great to have uh, Jenny and baby Faye and Thomas here, the new parents. You know, I don't know if you guys were watching, you know, uh, Bible studies and some of the sermons, but I kind of, I kind of let the congregation uh, in on a little secret. Because the baby was born seven pounds eleven ounces, they were going to offer the congregation free Slurpees. And so I just wanted, if, if people start coming up to you, you know, just just be aware, right? You know, this morning, before we get into the prophet Hosea, and before we continue on our series of sermons, uh, looking at some of the the divided kingdom and the prophets that we see within the divided kingdom, uh, each week I've been uh, talking to you a little bit about what's going on downstairs with the with the junior high and the high school. I handed out some handouts today, and I said, it's only four pages, don't worry. And I said, there's no fill in the blanks, you just have to read it. It's take five minutes. But I would, I would ask the parents to read this uh, with your kids, because it's ten basic facts that all creationists must know. And I asked the kids today, I said, what's a creationist? And they're like, it's a good question, right? And then one of them eventually answered it. And so we know that creationists are those who believe in creation. So you're either, you either believe in the creation or you believe in evolution, right? And so there's man's word and there's God's word. But I handed this out today. I would ask that you would read it with the kids uh, because it's stuff that we're going to be uh, covering. But I want to make sure that you as parents have uh, some of these different uh, ideas and uh, understandings of these different facts. And so, but today we're going to get into the prophet Hosea. And as we do, you guys remember that I told you last week, as we were looking at Amos, uh, that this week is going to build on it because they're both 8th century prophets, amen? And so as we get into this, you're going to see some powerful parallels between uh, Hosea and God. And as we think about Hosea and this parallel story of God's love for his people Israel, I, I want you to be able to just uh, understand these parallels because God wanted Hosea to go out. And Hosea kind of got a raw deal, I mean, if you think about it. I mean, you know, all the other prophets, they get a message, they go take the message, right? Hosea's like, you know, God tells Hosea, he goes, you know, I, but I want you to experience what I experience. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to know what I'm going through. So, so before you can really go out and to, to talk to Israel, to preach to Israel, to prophesy to Israel, I want you to know, I want you to be able to have the heart and the understanding of what I'm going through. And so he tells him to take himself a wife of harlotry. And as we get into this lesson here today, just like Hosea's love for his wife Gomer, even though Gomer uh, uh, hurt Hosea over and over again by her infidelity, only in Jesus is there a greater example of what? Of Hosea's love. And we're going to see the parallel between God's love for his people Israel and, and, and Hosea's love for Gomer, his unfaithful wife. Because what have we been seeing? Uh, as we've looked through the divided kingdom, as we started looking at these different prophets, we're seeing individuals uh, within the bridehood, so to speak, of God's people, God being the husband, Israel being the bride, and just how unfaithful they are unto a loving and righteous God. And so we see, brethren, that Hosea's uh, love was so powerful that even the nastiest behavior from his wife couldn't really dull the love that he had for her. And it's a parallel of the love that God has for his people. Because God is a patient God. He's a merciful God. He wants his people to do what? To repent. I mean, that every single prophet has basically the same message. Uh, you know, a, a few de details here and there may be a little different, but the bottom line is repentance. And God has always been calling on his people to repent. Acts 17 and 30, he says, enough is enough. The times of ignorance are over. I now declare all people everywhere to do what? The congregation said, repent, right? It's not a whole lot of difference. 
And if you remember what I said last week, I said the message that, uh, that Amos took 2,800 years ago could be the same message that could be preached to uh, 20, uh, 21st century America. And so you look at this information, brethren. His wife, Gomer, broke his heart over and over again, but his forgiving attitude, his actions toward her, give us a deep insight into our Creator. It gives us a deep insight into to, to the, to the nature and the heart of our Creator, of Jehovah God. And like Amos, as I said, Hosea, he preached in the 8th century B.C., it was about 745, 740, give or take, is the time frame. We know that uh, during this time, you know, this is like one of their last opportunities, right? I mean, they're not listening to Elijah. They're not listening to Elisha. They're not listening to Amos. Then he sends them Hosea. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're like, they don't know it yet, but there's only 20 years left. And God's going to be saying, I'm done with you guys, right? I'm done with the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Because you, like Gomer... Continue to prostitute yourself to these pagan gods. And so the northern kingdom of Israel died at the time when they thought they were the strongest. They thought, as I talked about, same time that Amos is preaching versus uh, Hosea, they, it was a time of unparalleled prosperity. Unparalleled prosperity financially, politically, but it was also a time of unparalleled depth of corruption in their morals and in their religion. And so you could see the parallels between what Amos was saying and what Hosea is saying. And it was probably because of that that Amos or Hosea never took for himself a wife. Because it was just a time of such corruption and just moral depravity. And so being a prophet was literally the totality of his life. And God commanded him to marry a woman. I want you to see what it says in this first passage on the screen behind me in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. It says that when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry for the land commits flagrant harlotry by forsaking me their God. You know, Hosea is a book that really emphasizes uh, from start to finish three thoughts. And if you look on the screen behind me, I put a slide up there to really show you the breakdown of Hosea. You see the first three chapters of Hosea, what does it look at? It looks at Israel's unfaithfulness to a holy and righteous God. You look at chapters, the heart of the book, the meat of the book, chapters 4 through 13, and you see what? You see the national sins of Israel. And then you have the concluding chapter, chapter 14, and it shows us Israel's hope for redemption. But that hope for redemption isn't going to come through northern tribe. And sometimes when I use Israel, as, when I say Israel, I'm using it in the universal sense. But here we're going to then break it down between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Israel versus Judah, right? And we're going to see that there's hope for Israel, but that hope comes through the southern kingdom of Judah. Where redemption will eventually come, and we're going to look at that in some other passages of scripture here this morning. You know, Hosea's experience with his wife and his children were, they're parallel to what? Parallel to God's experience uh, with his wife, his bride, the children of Israel. Hosea had a wife whose name was Gomer and she had three children. God had a wife and her name was Israel and they had many children. Uh, Hosea's children represent the experience that God would have had with his people Israel up until this point. And Hosea stood for God being the loving, patient husband. Gomer stood for the lustful, immoral wife uh, and the children of harlotry that was Israel. And so Hosea married Gomer, and they very, and right from the beginning, uh, he, she bore him a son. 
And God says, hey, you don't get to name the son. I'm going to tell you what I want you to name your son. The first name is Jezreel. And you have to understand that in those times, every name had a meaning, didn't it? And so it wasn't just like my mom gave me Dave. Oh, because of King Dave? No, just Dave. You know, there, there's no meaning behind it. There's no story behind it. It's just Dave, right? But every name back then had a meaning. And so the, the, we're going to look at those meanings of those names. The Lord told Jose, call your son Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu. Why? Because of the massacre that happened at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So you're going to, to name him Jezreel, and in that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel, like we learned about in Hosea chapter 1. Jehu destroyed all of the house of Ahab that we learned about in 2 Kings chapter 10. And in doing so, evidently, God wasn't happy because of some of the circumstances that goes into a whole other full Bible study that we won't get into here this morning. But God wasn't happy. And so that was, that was what Hosea's son Jezreel's name meant, is that Jehovah will punish. And that's what that name means. Jehovah will punish. God was going to put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And we're talking about the northern kingdom, those ten tribes. And at the end of, and you're looking, the end's only 20, 25 years away. They don't know it yet, but we know that Gomer conceived again. And this time she gives birth to a daughter. And God says, hey, I still will give you the name for your daughter. And you're going to name her Lo-Ruhamah. And this name means unloved. And well, why would God name her Lo-Ruhamah? Because that's how he felt. That's how Hosea felt. This was the way for Hosea, uh, this was the way Hosea was feeling in his own house because he married a wife of harlotry. A wife that would continue to uh, uh, be a harlot and, 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 and give herself to the people, to the men of Israel. And that was the way that the Lord had felt for years, having Israel as his bride. A people who continue to prostrate themselves before these pagan gods and prostitute themselves with these pagan gods and bear children of pagan gods instead of Jehovah God. Brethren, you look at this next passage of scripture on the screen behind me from Hosea chapter 1. And you see in verse 6 and 7 it says, For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, not by sword or battle or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. And brethren, this event actually happens that we learn about in Isaiah chapters 38 and 39. We learn about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. You learn about it and can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. This event actually happened when the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian army. And what happens? God sends a destroying angel to, in order to completely obliterate the individuals that came there to do harm to Jerusalem. And we see, brethren, how God's word, his prophetic word, comes to fruition. But we see that not just once, we see that over and over again. And that's why it's great to go back and study out messianic prophecies and go out and study all the prophecies that we now are learning more and more about. Every, with every archaeological dig in the Holy Lands, they're learning more about the history uh, that the Bible speaks of, and it's being confirmed through archaeological digs. Why? Because we don't have a blind faith. The Bible is true. There's a God. The Bible is his word. Jesus is his son. Those are the three pillars of Christianity, as we talked about in some of our Sunday, Sunday morning Bible studies. 
Brothers and sisters, you, look, you continue to look at all of this information. Gomer had three children, and their names tell Gomer's story. The first was that Jehovah will punish, and the name was Jezreel. The second that we spoke of, Lo Ruhama, means that neither Hosea nor the Lord are loved by his wife. But then there's a third child. And this third child is Lo, uh, Lo Ami, or Lo Ami. Uh, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. That is what this name is going to mean. Why? The Lord said to call him that because there was born in the prophet's house a son who was not his own. There was born in the prophet's house a son that was not his own because this child was the result of Gomer's affairs with the men of Israel and she bore to him a pagan child. And so, brethren, the names of these children tell the story of what was going on in Hosea's house. But it parallels the story of God with his bride Israel and what was going on in his house, so to speak. Jehovah would have to punish uh, his children Israel because of their idolatry, because of their just rampant immorality and moral depravity. Brethren, God was loved by his wife. Um, God was unloved by his wife Israel who had borne him strange children by pagan gods. But Hosea was such a, had such a type of love, and he was a deliverer of hope that he adds yet to the commentary. Look at Hosea chapter 1 now in verse 10 and 11. Even though God and Hosea were unloved, it says yet in verse 10 and 11, the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. And remember, Northern kingdom called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah, but we also reference in the general sense Israel as a, the spiritual people Israel. And you're going to see how this comes to fruition. So in verse 10 and 11, yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Brethren, great will be the day when Jehovah punishes. Hosea said that that day was coming when everything, a day was coming when everything would be reversed. The unloved would be loved and that, the, and that those who were not God's people would soon become God's people. And so the scattering that was a judgment would become a scattering that was a sowing. And when would this take place? Well, this took place during the days of Jesus. And the nation, of course, would become the kingdom of God, which we call the Church of Christ. You see, brethren, it would go from a scattering of judgment, a scattering that was a judgment, to a sowing uh, that became a life-saving seed. You see, brethren, this happened during the Church of Christ and then you get to chapter 2 of Hosea, and it's a long dialogue where, uh, a long dialogue where uh, uh, Gomer's children are pleading with her. The children were pleading with their mother, and they said, Were you not joined to our father? Were you not separated from our house? Why have you left our house and gone to your lovers? These are her children that are, that are petitioning her, their mother. They said, were you not loved by our father? Were you not cared for by our father? Were you not forgiven by our father? Do you see the parallels that could be drawn between them and Israel? You see, brethren, when you have, when we ha why have you gone, uh, they asked their mother, why have you gone after all these strange men, after all these strange lovers? And the parallel 
would be that the people of Israel should plead with each other as to why they had left God, as to why they left the endless love and care of a loving and gracious God who provided for them in their times. Brethren, Israel left God because, they, because of the lack of the love that they had for God. Uh, Gomer left Hosea because of the lack of love that she had for her husband. And yet God expresses his love by telling Hosea to go get yourself, go get your wife back. Because now she's been gone for a while and she's basically wore herself out with the men of Israel. And brethren, you look at this and what happened to her? She had worn herself out with all of her lovers. Nobody wanted her anymore. And then, he, uh, and then God tells Hosea, his prophet, go get your wife back. Why? Because it's a parallel of the story that's the coming of the Christ. When God would bring his people back into the pasture, bring his people back into the sheepfold, if they were willing to repent. If they were willing to turn away from those pagan lovers, right? Turn away from those pagan gods. And so you could see the parallel between Gomer and God and Hosea. Uh, Gomer and Israel and Hosea and God. Brethren, understand that God told Hosea to go to the marketplace and buy back your wife. In Hosea chapter 3 on the screen behind me in verse 1, the Lord said, Go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another, though she is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Brothers and sisters, Israel was idolatrous. And they had left God. And Hosea must have known how God had felt in order to truly convey God's message to his people Israel. And God had Hosea go to the marketplace, has him buy back this immoral woman. And the text tells us that he bought her back for 15 shekels uh, of silver and about a homer and a half of barley. That's what the text tells us. And you say, what in the world is that? Like, how, how, what would that equate to? Well, 15 shekels is about 100 modern day dollars. 10, um, uh, 10 bushels would have been about $10. So it would have been the value of about 110 American dollars. <laughs> But think about this. This is 2,800 years ago. 110 American dollars 2,800 years ago would have been a fortune. And so what's the point? God wanted, Gober, uh, he wanted Hosea to know the cost of, 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 of what he was having to deal with. Didn't God send his own begotten son? Wasn't there a mighty cost for God to bring back his adulterous bride? To invite her back home to live with him? And to submit to him, you see, brethren, there's a cost. And, he, and God wanted Hosea to know that there was a cost before he could really truly go out and preach the word to his people. And then you get to Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, and it explains the parallel of this verse to Israel. Because the Israelites will live many days without what? Without king or without prince? without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or without idols. And afterward, the Israelites will return to their God. Well, when was it that they lived many years? Well, do you guys remember when God went radio silence? You remember after Malachi, there was a period of silence, right? And we, we, we look at that period of silence between the two covenants. It was over 400 years. No sacred stones, no sacrifices, there was no uh, ephods. There was no prophets. God went radio silence. And so we know, brethren, that the Israelites had to live many days without those things. 
And afterwards, the Israelites are going to return to God as it was prophesied. They will come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last days. Well, we look at scriptures and we ask ourselves, what is the last days? The last days is representative of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, of the church of Christ. How do I know that? Because when you continue to examine the, uh, the, the information, it tells us. Is it possible that Gomer did the same thing? Is it possible after that she wore herself out with all of the men of Israel in harlotry that she eventually came back to him when he bought her in the marketplace as a slave and said, as long as you are faithful, I will live with you. God tells us, as long as you are faithful, I will live with you. Doesn't Jesus say something in Luke 6 and 46 uh, that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? You know, if is a conditional word, isn't it? And that's spiritual Israel that, the, that it goes out to, but it goes out to all of God's creation. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will be like a father to you. And so, brethren, we also look at this information, and we understand that after Gomer had many days without any lover, many days without her husband, maybe she came to her senses. Maybe like the spiritual Israel of the future, she had with some real love and some real repentance, maybe she came back pleading for Hosea, to take her back into his loving arms again. Brethren, Hosea naturally would have accepted her, would he have not? Why? Because he's representative of God and the story between God and his people Israel and all of the harlotry that Israel perpetrated against God with these pagans. You see, brethren, this happened when the Israelites came back during the one kingdom. When, when did this happen, so many might ask. Well, you guys remember in Acts chapter 2, didn't Peter give a sermon? And he, gave a very, he just gave a, a very straightforward sermon. We looked at the prophet Joel several weeks ago, and we talked about how Joel was known as the prophet of Pentecost. And as he's preaching that gospel sermon there and, uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost, and the, you know, he, he, thousands of people are there. And we know that he gives this history lesson, and 3,000 of them are what? Pricked in the hearts. Because they knew that the things that Peter was saying was true. And these men, they asked Peter, what can we do to make this wrong right? And he said, what you must do is repent. Sound familiar? Repent and let each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself will then add you to the kingdom. And of course, Jehovah was ready to forgive them. Why? Because God the Father is like the, uh, is like the Father and the prodigal son. You guys remember that, right? He's just, he's there, he's prepared, he's looking out the window, he's always looking for his son to come home. He's got the robe ready, he's got the ring ready, he's got the sandals ready, he's ready to offer the fatted calf as a celebration that his son, who was spiritually dead, is now alive. Is now ready to come home, and God is ready to, like, uh, like Hosea was ready to welcome a repentant, loving wife back into his faithful, loving arms. God is ready to do that for spiritual Israel. And you see, brethren, he's ready to do that for all his creation. God the Father is always looking out the window, always ready to forgive. Remember, the scriptures tell us that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous individuals who need no repentance. Brethren, you remember in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. Think about how patient God was with Israel. 1,500 years he dealt with them. He put up with them and all their shenanigans. 200 years in the northern kingdom, right? 
And so he had to put up with all the shenanigans. He has been patient, but he also paved the way for all those who truly repent and want to turn back to him. He paved the way for them to come home. You see, brethren, God is not wishing for any of us to perish, but for all of us to come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, before I close this down, I want to show you on this next slide, there's seven things that build upon each other in the 14 chapters of Hosea. And as we look at these, uh, these things, I'll just briefly hit them before I close this lesson down. The first step in the northern kingdom, uh, the first step in the northern kingdom's fall was Israel's lack of knowledge. In Hosea and in other places of the Bible, we understand that even though knowledge was available, God's people remain willfully ignorant. Today, in the 21st century, in the Lord's church, God's people still remain what? Willfully ignorant. Not just ignorant, willfully ignorant. We have more resources than at any other time in human history. We have more, or during the, 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 uh, the, during the Christian era, we have more resources. We are without excuse. God's people have always been destroyed for the lack of knowledge, the scriptures tell us. The second step is Israel's fall. Uh, the second step in Israel's fall was because of arrogance. Arrogance, brethren, pride had, had, had come because they were ignorant of the will of God. They didn't understand what God had wanted. They didn't understand the will of God. And so, brethren, the third step in Israel's fall was instability. Why? Because instability or unstableness, uh, it comes at times of arrogance. When arrogance gets in the way, even though some of them wanted to return to God, what do we see? It proved to be more lip service than anything else. Because they had allowed their fleshly desires to become, more, to become stronger than their desire to submit to a loving and righteous God. Their fleshly desires were, more, were stronger than their desire to submit, to live lives of obedience, to come back and to do the will of God. Brethren, we need to understand that ignorance leads to pride, pride leads to instability, instability leads to worldliness, which is the fourth step. That fourth step, and all these steps build upon each other as you go through the 14 chapters of Hosea. Worldliness is that fourth step in Israel's fall. Because why? Israel had mixed herself with the world. He, she mixed herself with the world when she was called to separate from the world. Does that sound familiar at all? Are we called to mix ourselves with the world or to be separated from the world? You see, brethren, we're called to be separated from the world, just like Christians today are to be set apart as God, a possession, a, a people for God's own possession. We need to understand, brethren, that it was the same way during the times of Israel. They were to be set apart from all the pagan nations because God had chosen them as his people. And brethren, you get to the fifth step. The fifth step was how Israel would reap their consequences of mixing themselves with the world. Because the Israelites did not acknowledge God because of their pride. And the pride caused instability. And they were appealing to the world for their strength. They were appealing to worldly things for their power and for their glory and for all their materialism and, 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 and everything else that went into it. And the sixth step was backsliding. You know, in Proverbs chapter 14, or Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon speaks about this. Solomon said that if people turn away from following God long enough, that when they do cry out, he's going to laugh in their day of distress. Proverbs <laughs> chapter 1, 24 through 26. You see, brethren, the seventh and final step, as I close this down, was idolatry. Israel's pathway to destruction was presented by Hosea, one step at a time in logical order. You had ignorance... You had pride, you had instability, 
which led to worldliness, which led to corruption, which led to backsliding, which led to idolatry, which led to the judgment of God eventually coming in another 20 to 25 years when those 10 northern tribes would cease to exist. You see, brethren, Hosea said that despite Israel's unfaithfulness as a prostituting bride, and despite all of its sins ranging from ignorance to idolatry, that God was still anxiously awaiting an opportunity to forgive all who repent. And that message carried over into the New Testament when God gave His only begotten Son. Jesus Christ came just as Hosea had come to be a living representative of the love of God. And that's the story of Hosea. He came to say, here is how much God loves you. God loves you just as Hosea loved his wife, Gomer, which is a parallel of God and Israel. More importantly, God loves his creation, brethren, as was shown in Jesus' love on the cross of Calvary. You see, brethren, faith is great. Hope is good. Hope is fine. But love is the greatest of all. And it is love that speaks most deeply about the character and about the nature of Jehovah God. Brethren, the book of Hosea is unique in the Old Testament in that because it portrays God as a suffering, waiting, merciful, and loving husband, simply awaiting his bride's return to him. His bride to, 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 to repent and have a change of hearts and come back to him so that way he could re-embrace her into his loving arms. All of God's children, all of God's creation can find peace in God's love if they're only willing to be spiritually obedient. If they're willing to set aside the cares of the world to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, brethren, if you're here today and you're listening to this story and you can see some parallels to Christianity, well then amen, because you should be able to see some parallels you see, brethren, because there's too many people within Christendom and within the world who are choosing the world over God, who are choosing uh, uh, sexual immorality over, uh, over being sexually moral, right? Meaning waiting for the days of marriage. Uh, God created sexuality to be a, a beautiful thing in, inside the confines of a loving marriage. And so we need to understand, brethren, that uh, we turn materialism into God, into, into pagan gods, because greed equates to what? Idolatry, the scriptures teach us. And so if you're seeing parallels, brethren, there are many more that can be spoken of. But for time's sake, I just give you a high-level overview of the, of the story of Hosea and Gomer. But if you're here today and you're hearing this message, and maybe you've been studying with somebody here recently, Maybe you've been thinking about making Jesus the Lord of your life. You have that opportunity because the baptistry is warm and ready. I, I believe the heater is on. It may not be that cold as when I first was baptized. But nevertheless, it should be warm. And if you're willing, and if you're willing to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to have your sins washed away, to have your sins forgiven you, you can go down into the baptistry. You can make that choice today. Why wait any longer? You see, brethren, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. This, this day, over 185,000 people are going to die worldwide. I guarantee you, most of them are making plans for tomorrow, next week, next month. But if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.